Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hey, hey, welcome into Sports Talk on this gloomy Wednesday afternoon. Don't worry, we'll get over the hump today. Evan Kahn with you for the next two hours. Joining me this hour is Mr. Lauren Tate, and we've got quite the lineup set up for today's show. We'll talk with Angelique Chenglis this hour from the Detroit News on the Michigan Wolverines as we've got Illinois football this weekend traveling up to Ann Arbor. Colin Likas will drop by Get a look at the prep scene. No prep show this week, but there will be a Coach Bielema show at 7 o'clock on these airwaves. The next hour, Scott Ritchie joins me, News Gazette beat writer for Illinois Sports. We will talk with Ben Bolch from the LA Times as Illinois basketball has a big, big weekend themselves, headed out to Las Vegas to play in an MTE. They'll see UCLA, so we'll get a little of the scout with Ben next hour. Michael Martin, sideline reporter for Illinois football, will drop in as well as we're in, in this crazy crossover season, Lauren. We've got men's basketball. We've got football going on. Women's basketball got a big win today as well. So not much in way of headlines, but plenty going on in, in the form of games. Quite a turnout today, huh? 8,000 they counted. A lot of students, maybe five, 6,000 students, huh? They had the field Young tri- students. Yeah, they had the field trip day over yeah. there at the State Farm Center as they've done for five or six years now. Missed the pandemic year, obviously, but... Started that back in 2016. It's always the most raucous atmosphere that you'll you'll see this season yeah. at, for women's basketball. But looks like Shauna Green's got them scoring the basketball here really early on the year. 100 points today for for the Fighting Lions. Yeah, and and they've got some. The transfers are good players, and Cook is really good. Yep. She's the best basketball player Illinois has had in recent years. Mm-hmm. A ball handler, quick with the ball, passes extremely well. Gets the ball to the right person every time and uh, is a good shooter. So I, they, they, it makes a difference when you got a guard like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if their front line people will hold up when they get in the Big Ten, but uh, right now they're running people down. I mean, they're 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 moving the ball down and Cook is really good. They've got a, a somebody who can initiate the offense. They've, yep. they've got girls that, that have played with Shauna Green. They know the the culture and the the schemes that she's trying to run. So yeah, she has two of her own people here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. brought her whole coaching staff as well. So while it's new to some of the players, we're, we're seeing it. I mean, Brad Underwood's got basically a, a new team himself, and they're off to a, a 3-0 and start. So good start for women's basketball, men's basketball as well. As mentioned, we'll, we'll talk some football here later this hour with Angelique Chenglis. You were doing some diving, digging and oh, yeah. diving and researching here as we get ready for Michigan this weekend. The Illini, I think, 17.5-point favorite or underdogs, last I checked, headed into this weekend. Not quite as big of a spread as that Wisconsin homecoming game back in 2019, but could be one of the, the biggest upsets in Illinois history 
were they able to to pull off the win this Saturday up It'd in It'd be Arbor? a bigger upset than the win over Wisconsin, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think so. Although Illinois is a better football team than we had in 2019. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. That is. And maybe I'm mistaken on that, but uh, what we're trying to do is to think about the separation between the teams going in. And I did write down some games here, and I, I think this I think this would be pretty close to the biggest upset because of my evaluation of Michigan right. in my head. They're, you Num- know, number what, three in the nation undefeated. Well, they're number five in the nation in scoring uh, and then the number one in the nation in defense. That's pretty good. <laughs> but um, my number one game, as I look back on it, I think would be the 1956 game when Abe Woodson made those runs against Michigan State. Michigan State's number one in the nation. Illinois, going into that game, is one and three. They win the game, and they don't win another game the rest of the season. <laughs> I mean, they had two wins all year, and one of them was the upset of number one. So I think that might be the number one uh, differential, you know, between mm-hmm. the, the ability of the Illinois team and, and, the, and the ability of, of, the, of the other team that they beat. My number, uh, number two uh, will throw you for a loop. Uh, Ray Elliott had, an, had a knack for pulling upsets. <laughs> He did. I mean, most people would complain about. Well, we know we're going to get. We're going, we know we're going to upset somebody this year, but you know the, the season will be just average. And and of course, Ray had some very good teams, but he took over the team in 1942. It was right after the the war started, and Minnesota came in with consecutive eight and no seasons. Eight and no, eight and no, sixteen wins in a row, and Illinois won the game, 20 to 13. That was a huge upset, and that that uh, going back to that era. Illinois also beat uh, Michigan and Tommy Harmon in 1939, and Illinois was 0-3 and 1 going in, <laughs> and won the game 16 to 7 in a huge upset. But more to get back to to more uh, recent, the Wisconsin game. Wisconsin was number six, mm-hmm. and they had they had won some good games that year, and Illinois, uh, you know, won with a field goal, 24 to 23. How big an upset do you did you consider? Well, that's pretty big, wasn't it? At the time, it was, and I'm guessing as you look at it, the season went along. Illinois qualified for a bowl. Wisconsin had Jonathan Taylor, but they were about a Wisconsin team. They were nine and four. They weren't necessarily. They number were number six. six. They were at the time. Yeah. Was that a bigger upset than last year when Illinois beat Penn State? They were number seven in nine overtimes. Nine overtimes and on the Illinois road. Illinois was two and five going into that game, mm-hmm. and the fact that it was no nine overtimes. It's like the Red Grange game. You say, well, Red Red Grange shocked Michigan, but the score was what was the shocker. <laughs> Illinois had won 10 straight games going into the Michigan game in 1924. Yeah. So that wasn't a, a real upset. It was just the margin wasn't surprising. And, and of course, with the Penn State game, it was the overtimes that was the mm-hmm. shocker. But I, that's that's my main take on, on, uh, on upsets. I think this would be ranked right up in the top five all time if they were able to beat Michigan. When you, you consider how good Michigan is, and, and we'll find out maybe a, a little more about how good they are coming up this this hour and where Illinois is at this point, which uh, I, I think you, you've been saying for the last few weeks is that Illinois has got some wins, but they haven't really beat a significant team. And you no, go out haven't. there and you beat Michigan with, with all the, the numbers and oh, what well. they've done so far this year yeah. and, and the significance of it. You, you think back to that, that 07 upset of Ohio State. It was a big win. You go on the road. You beat number one. But it, 
and maybe it pushed you into the Rose Bowl. I don't know exactly, but if they win this, then it also sets up Illinois with some help to to maybe play for a, a Big Ten championship in Indianapolis. The thing about Michigan is they haven't really been threatened all year, and they played a weak schedule to begin with. Okay, so that that doesn't help them. They had three easy routes, and of course. Uh, Corum had uh, five touchdowns against UConn, then he came right back with 243 yards against Maryland. <laughs> the guy's really good. But in the Maryland game, the final score was 34-27, but it was 34-19 with a minute to go. Mm-hmm. So they had that game in hand, and they led Iowa 27-7. They, they, they beat – I still remember those first downs against Penn State. They had 18, and, and Penn State had two <laughs> at one time in that game, even though Penn State led. Yeah, a couple of goofy plays they there. Had an interception got him, return. Yeah, yeah, and uh, but so basically, they haven't in the final. They haven't gone down late in the fourth quarter in any kind of danger at all this season. They, they've controlled the game for for the most part, and here lately they've turned it on against good teams with double digit, maybe even twenty point win over or Penn State. Uh, they they let Michigan State hang around, and then they blew them out in the the second half. So maybe they're they're finding their their stride a little bit, especially when you you said you pointed out the the early season slate. They weren't really playing full games with their guys at, at that time. I got a, a question for you. You know that uh, Brown is still Chase Brown still leading the nation in rushing with four. 1442. Yep. Have you noticed who's leading the nation in passing? Mm-mm. Michael Penix. Ever hear of him? <laughs> Out of Washington. Washington. Yeah. Former Indiana quarterback who made that great dive to beat Penn State several years ago and played last year, was injured most of the year and left and got another year of eligibility and he's out at Washington and they just beat Oregon. Yeah. And he's he's thrown for 3,640 yards. Wow, I bet he's glad he left Indiana. <laughs> Washington's a eight and two, and that that win over Oregon was huge this weekend. They're they're kind of in the same boat as Illinois. Is yeah. they hadn't really beat anybody big, but Michael Penix has got that arm. You wonder if Indiana wouldn't mind it if he stuck around, but uh, that that did not happen. Didn't matter. Illinois still couldn't beat him back there in week one. But uh, think Illinois can find a quarterback like that <laughs> around somewhere uh, next year. I don't know. Especially, I mean, you you look at, at the system, it's not really geared towards that. And out in Washington, I'm sure they told him, hey, we're going to let you you yeah. pass it and, and air it out all you want. And he's probably yeah. shaping up to, to be a draft pick coming up here uh, in, in the spring. That's why Charlie Jones went from Iowa to Purdue. He wanted to go with a passing team, and man, oh, man, do they throw it, huh? It, it's incredible with the, the transfer portal. I, I got looking at Charlie Jones's stats. He's a fifth-year senior. He never had over 400 receiving yards in no. a season. You know, uh, each year they select a, a coach of the year. And, of course, it'll be either the Michigan coach or the Ohio State coach this year. But tell me, who co- forget recruiting for a minute. Who coaches better than Brom? Hmm. I mean, Big Ten? I, I know that they haven't had a – I mean, they're not great. They don't have great records, but my goodness – they get the most out of what they got, it mm-hmm. looks to me like. He, At least they do against Illinois. <laughs> Purdue beats Illinois regularly. Six straight times. Is it six or seven now at home? At home, yes. And going back, I think 2010 was the last time that uh, Illinois won at home. And uh, Yeah, he, he, he I mean, tends he, to keep them. And, and you you got to respect him. When you play him, You he, he does things that uh, other coaches don't do. 
that's why we, we had Mike Harmon on last week, and I wondered if anybody was coming calling because, yeah, since he's been at Purdue, all they've done is have consistently six to eight win season, something that you would expect out of Purdue. And sounds like Louisville is the only place that, that he would probably go, which makes sense. There's talking that he will go at some point. Whenever, whenever that comes is, up. Is, is there another head coach calling all the offensive plays the way he – of course, he's working with his brother, mm-hmm. but um, – I think He's, Harbaugh still calls his offense, maybe. Maybe we can find out next segment. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Somebody, we'll ask when we, when we have our guest, we'll ask her. Yeah, but there there aren't a whole lot of head coaches, right? I mean, Brett Bielema no, doesn't no, call the, no. the defense I mean, he, as head coach. A lot I don't of coaches think... are just more concerned on the defensive side, or they or they work defensive coordinators before they became head coaches. And, mm-hmm. But I, I think Bielema gets his hand on everything. But when the game starts, Lunny is calling the plays. Yep. And um, when the game starts, Brahms in charge of Purdue, mm-hmm. and he's shown over the years that they've lost a lot of games, and they don't. But he he's dangerous. He worries me when I, we play. I, mean, I guess this is, I'm, I'm so used to losing to Purdue that what, what they they had beaten us thirteen out of seventeen going into yeah. the game, or is that now is it fourteen out of eighteen? I have to look it up now. I I remember the thirteen out of seventeen. It sounds pretty close. So. Yeah. He, he always has them in games, so got football going on, basketball going on. We'll stick with the football theme coming up next. Angelique Chenglis of the Detroit News will drop in, and we will talk Michigan-Illinois coming up this weekend. Hey, Illini family, it's Brett Bielma. Illinois football plays right here on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM. It'll be Illinois and Michigan this Saturday game day coverage starting at nine here on DWS. We will have two opportunities during this show for you to win tickets to WWE Road to WrestleMania. Just keep listening for the bell here today and this week as we will get you to the show. And also before we do that, let's uh, get a little bit of the word on, on what Michigan's up to. And we bring in Angelique Chenglis of the Detroit News. She covers the Michigan Wolverines on the football beat. And she's been here with us on Sports Talk before. And we appreciate you taking some time here again this afternoon. Oh, my pleasure. Really looking forward to, I mean, this is Michigan's last game at home. And and I've been, you know, I've been watching Illinois when I can, um, watching the reruns when, on BTN and, and getting a feel for what Brett Bielen was doing there. I really thought he was a good hire there. So I'm really looking forward to seeing this matchup because I, I think they match up well. And Michigan's coming into this game 10-0, first time since 2006, so I'm going to put you on the spot. This is the best Michigan team since when? Is it last year? Is it somewhere in between there? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been covering this team for a long time, and I've been thinking about these things, and we were actually, a couple of my colleagues were talking about, well, is this the best offensive line since? And we were going back, he was going back to the early 90s, and I'm like, well, the 1997 offensive line was really good, and you got three pros off of that line, and and this team is really good, and, and I would argue, um, you know, a lot of people wonder wondered if this defense could be as good as last year. They really believed there would be a drop-off. I was one of those people with, with, with Hutchinson and Ojabo and Dax Hill and, and Brad Hawkins gone, but I think this is a better group, and, you know, it was something that Jim Harbaugh kept talking about in the preseason, the no-star, no-name defense, and, and he said he's in his years of coaching that he frequently has had not frequently, but when he has had defenses like this, 
he found them to be better because they all had to work together. There wasn't one guy, one star, and, and I think that that's really uh, what you what you've seen them embrace this year. So uh, I think the offensive line is better. Um, you know, quarterback. It, you know, you're still waiting to see JJ McCarthy be a little more complete, but. To answer your question in a long-winded way, yeah, I think it's better than last year's team. <laughs> and I remember when, when we talked in the preseason, uh, I had the questions on the defensive side as well. So they, they lose three top 50 picks, and it's a, a, a starless kind of defense. So is it the, that the talent's not there, they're playing as a team just much better? What, what's gone right on that side of the ball? Well, I think, you know, one thing, and I wrote about him the other day, is, is Mozzie Smith, the nose tackle. I mean, he does not have the, the, the gaudy numbers, but he is taking on double teams, occasionally triple teams. And, you know, he's, he's a guy, to me, that's where this defense has started. He is the heart of the defense, and he is, he's given guys like Mike Morris on the edge a chance to, to shine. And, and they've really, they have shared their sacks. I mean, it, it's, it's not just one or two guys like it was last year. I mean, Hutchinson had 14 and Ojabo had 11. This is being spread out and, and different levels of the defense, too. You're seeing Mike Samerstall, the guy who was a receiver his entire career, moved to the defensive secondary this year. I believe he got the first sack of the season. And, you know, it, it's, it's, I think, the new defensive coordinator, Jesse Minner, who, like Mike, Mike McDonald last year, was a product of the Ravens, of John Harbaugh's staff with the Ravens. So they spoke the same language. So there wasn't a big change, you know, not not a lot for this, these defensive players to have to to adjust to with Minterin. And and I I just think he's I think they respond to him really well. I think they he, he got a new defensive line coach and Mike Elson, a guy who'd been at, at Notre Dame for about a dozen years and a former Michigan player. And and I think all these pieces have really come together, but. You know, you're seeing some names emerge now, and and you're seeing a Mike Morris who's really, I think, the guy who people recognize maybe because of his long hair and he's a little flashy uh, when he gets a sack. But I, I think if you're going to look for a quote unquote star, to me, it's Mozzie Smith. Talking with Angelique Chengelis here on Sports Talk. Angelique, this is Lauren Tate. Uh, early in the season, what was the reaction when Harbaugh announced he was going to? play two quarterbacks in the first couple games and make a decision after he saw them. What was the reaction at that point? I thought, to me, Lauren, that meant that J.J. McCarthy would be the starting quarterback. Mm. I mean, I, I'm like, you know, if, if you're going to do it this way, to me, it felt like he was opening the door for J.J., mm-hmm. the sophomore, to come in and take this job. And, and you know, I think a lot of people had – issues with Cade McNamara after he got the first start in the Colorado State game and, and after the game he he was very blunt and, and said that this was strange you know he'd never thought about this kind of thing happening where they each get a start he he fully believed he had won the job coming out of preseason camp and going into the camp you know here's J.J. McCarthy who's coming off he didn't have a spring ball he had a labrum issue in his in his right in his throwing shoulder his right shoulder and didn't have surgery, you know, went through all this stuff with Tom House, the, the former major league pitcher, and, and worked with so many pitchers and quarterbacks. So he's, you know, worked on his shoulder. And I think it took J.J. a couple weeks at the start of camp to really kind of get into a rhythm and then started pushing Cade. But at that point, you know, Cade really thought he was going to take over where he left off last season. He was voted a captain. And I think for him, it was very strange. And you asked my perspective, Lauren, I really did think 
this was uh, just a, a major door opening for for JJ to take the job, and he did. Yeah, he I did think, his I, second start against Hawaii. I think you hit it. Now, does Harbaugh call the plays on offense? No, I mean he, he, they've got the two coordinators, and you got Sharon Moore who coaches the offensive line, and Matt Weiss who coaches the quarterbacks. And, and my belief is that Weiss is is more of a the red zone third down mm-hmm. play caller, and Sharon's doing it. I mean, obviously. Harbaugh has the headset on. You've got Mike Hart's the run game coordinator. They're all talking, you know, in those split seconds when when a play's being uh, being called and decided on. Uh, but it is it is those two with I believe it's Harbaugh's basically his rubber stamp on on every call play call made. What's your take on on Harbaugh and and personally how how do you get along with him? Uh, it's an that's an interesting question, Lauren. I mean, he's a, he's a different guy, and I, he's <laughs> the fifth coach I've covered at Michigan. I mean, I've been doing this since 1992, and um, you know, I, I I say this, and I don't mean it as a as a complaint. I'm not whining, but he's of the five coaches, he's the only one I've never had a one on one interview with, and you know, I just he doesn't want to open himself up to anything. You know, if you ask him a question that's even remotely personal, and and frankly, I don't think this is a personal question, but like his his big victory when he guaranteed the win over Ohio State, he just doesn't want to talk about these things. And he'll always say, I don't want to peel back the onion. So a little frustrating in that sense. You know, I respect the guy. You know, you may not have the same beliefs as he has, but he uses his platform. He says what he believes. Um, and it's, you know, it's just always something with him. I don't know how to describe it, but I, I just, you can never rest when there's a Jim Harbaugh press conference. I mean, like a few weeks ago, <laughs> basically said James Franklin was the ringleader of the halftime, uh, whatever, when they were yelling at each other in the tunnel. And, you know, it's like, it's always something. So it's always interesting. Yeah, he he is never short of content. Is there <laughs> is there still fallout going on? I think I saw that they, the investigation had been passed on. Is that still being talked about, the, the skirmish in the tunnel with Michigan State? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I got the email this week. It's, it's officially at the prosecutor's office, and um, there's no timetable for when anything will come out of that office. I mean, the Big Ten it has not has not has refrained. I had a comment from the Big Ten this week, and, and they're really trying to let this investigation, which is not complete, but let the prosecutor do um, his job and at the Washington County's prosecutor's office, and, you know, then they'll go from there, but um, you know, you got eight players suspended from Michigan State, and you also saw last week Michigan's first home game since that game on October 29th that they changed their security protocols on the field. I mean, they really held back. It was very, it was very obvious how long they held back Michigan after the game. There were still a couple, you know, say a dozen Nebraska players praying on the on the on the field along with some Michigan players, and they waited until every Nebraska player had moved up the tunnel. And waited even a little bit longer, so that there's no conflict at all, just in terms of players interacting with each other in, in the tunnel. So, um, and they stepped up; they have more security down there. So, Michigan has made some changes there, but it, it will be really interesting to see how this gets resolved and whether there will be any criminal charges. Because um, I, I think that's that's the one the one big piece of this that the prosecutor is is handling right now. 
Angelique Chengles, Chengles, sorry about that, with us here on Sports Talk. I want to circle back to the offensive line real quick, and, and Blake Corum's getting a lot of the headlines, obviously, with, with Heisman and Walter Camp Award watch lists and, and, and you name it, but this offensive line, it, it's returned three starters. They brought in a, a graduate from Virginia who was really the anchor of that line, and we saw how much Virginia's offensive line has struggled, and Illinois kind of eaten up poorer offensive lines so how is this unit working so well together it's and that the interesting thing too about this offensive line is they've had six different starting combinations they've Hmm. had injuries and and i I think that really goes to what sharon moore coaches the group had talked about early in the season about the depth that they've developed and they do practice guys at at different spots just to be ready for something like this and um, you're right. I mean, you're spot on about Olu, Olu with Timmy at center. And, and unfortunately, you know, this has been a tough week for him because he was teammates with, with those young men at Virginia who lost their lives this week. And it's been a very hard week for him uh, from all accounts and talking to his teammates. But, um, but as far as his performances here, he is, he is the glue. I mean, he is making things happen for this offense line. He has upgraded this group, and they won the Joe Moore Award last year. But um, and it, it's not to disparage Andrew Vistardis, who was the center last year. But Olu is, is you know he's a legit NFL player, and and he just so quickly acclimated to, to this team and and to running the offensive line, and and that is a big part of of you know Blake Corm's doing Blake Corm things, but he's getting a, a, a big assist from this offensive line. Uh, I'm going to ask you a weird one here. Uh, does Appalachian State stand? as the biggest upset in recent, well, let's say since 1992 <laughs> history. <laughs> and uh, if not, uh, and, and where would the Illinois game stack up if, it, if Illinois pulled an upset? Oh, my goodness. I mean, that would be huge. I mean, here's a team, you know, Michigan's teams going into this, this you know, everyone's already here. I will, I will tell you, everyone on the radio, everyone – um, just talking, they're all talking about Michigan Ohio State, and, and you know, yeah. uh, you know, Ohio State goes to Maryland, and, and Michigan's got Illinois. This is, you know, hold on for a minute, <laughs> yeah, but it would be huge. I mean, this is a team. Michigan came into the season. I mean, you heard heard Harbaugh at the Big Ten media days with his four goals: beat Michigan State, beat Ohio State, win the Big Ten championship, win the national championship. So they have those goals, and that's what the players have talked about. So it would be enormous and. You know, the Appalachian State game was, uh, that upset was huge. I always say, you know, you, you can't, you can't say, I mean, Appalachian State had won, I think, three national titles going into that game. I mean, this was a really good team, and they mm-hmm. had NFL players. There was a loss, and I'm trying to remember which year it was, Richrod. Um, I think it was to Akron. I, I always kind of thought maybe that was bigger, in a sense, because that team was really bad. And um, I thought that was a, a, a real low for uh, in the Richrod era, but mm-hmm. I think for you know, you know, I think for what your your listeners would know that Appalachian, everybody knows that Appalachian State lost, so that is pretty big. But yeah, I mean, a lost Saturday would be enormous. I mean, it would just uh, it would pierce their souls in so many ways. Pierce their souls. Their <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I I'm certainly not anticipating it, but I I think that uh, it sets up. Uh, 
Uh, you probably don't remember this game. You you don't remember the 1939 game with Michigan <laughs> when <laughs> Illinois beat Tommy Harmon. Wasn't there. And, and and I mentioned that Illinois was, they had no wins going into that game in four games and still won uh, against number two Michigan in 1939. <laughs> so maybe this will repeat itself. <laughs> I'm not counting well, on it. I don't know. You know, it's, it's, I, this is. I think they. I think Illinois definitely has uh, Michigan's respect. I, and I'm not saying that because I just really. Talking to the players, they have been, none of the players have have talked about Ohio State, and that's not been true. Covering Michigan all these years, I, I have seen them look ahead, and, and they have been very much focused on on Illinois and and whether they're going to have the running back and, and how good he is, mm-hmm. and um, you know just how much that, that they control curveball at their plans. So I, I think that they, they they do they at least know the fans don't, but the fans but the players are, are focused on Illinois. Well, we've got two run-heavy teams. Maybe it will be a game slightly reminiscent of 1939, but we look forward to a good one at the Big House on Saturday between Illinois and Michigan. Angelique Chengelis, she writes for the Detroit News. You can follow her on Twitter as well and read her writings. We appreciate your time here, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens on Saturday. Well, make sure you bring a parka. It's going to be like 25 <laughs> degrees or something, so uh, so be ready. Yeah, the Thank elements so are a big factor now, aren't they? The elements. <laughs> oh, they are. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I, I imagine that will suit the run game okay, but, um, you know, I think that Michigan's got to – J.J. McCarthy has to work on his, his pass game, his deep, his deep pass game, so I think that's something that they'll try to unleash a little bit. But we shall see. But, uh, but no, thank you. And, and I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving next week. Yeah, you too. This is Big Ten weather, and it's uh, getting down to crunch time. So big game on Saturday. We appreciate, appreciate Angelique joining us here on Sports Talk. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Colin Likas joins us. He's keeping busy on the prep scene as we morph one season into the other. We'll get an update with him next. You're listening to Sports Talk on DWS. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hey, Illini family. It's Illini women's basketball coach, Shauna Green. Don't miss a minute of Illini basketball this season on News Talk 1400 and 93.9 FM, DWS. Back on Sports Talk, Illinois women's basketball, 100-38 winners today earlier over McNeese State. They'll be back in action this weekend and covering girls basketball and boys basketball and football and golf and everything in between is Colin Likas. He is the News Gazette's prep coordinator who is always busy at work. What's keeping your focus mostly here today, Colin? Uh, right now I'm looking at fantasy football lineups. Um, <laughs> I, have a, Very a, I have a really horrible, one of my three teams is absolutely horrendous, so I'm trying to just like fix it on the fly here before I <laughs> go back to the office and do actual work. Um but on a more honest note or a more work-based <laughs> note, I guess, uh, 
doing all area stuff uh, this time of year for fall sports. Uh, everything's done except for Unity Football, of course, still playing uh, from a fall sports perspective. So I'm going to be heading to Danville tonight, hoping the snow stops as mm-hmm. I go talk with our girls tennis player of the year. Danville had a very, very, very good girls tennis season, in which they tied for third place in the uh, Class 1A state tournament, and they will be rewarding rewarded accordingly in our uh, all area package this weekend. Yeah, I saw uh, all area golf teams came out mm-hmm. here recently, and, and you got tennis going on as well. And, and you mentioned Unity. What what went right on Saturday? Was that <laughs> an upset win? Uh, I guess ranking wise, I mean, sure. it's hard to not classify it as an upset win. But Unity, did, did they expect to, to win that game? Yeah, I would say Unity expected to win that game. Absolutely, um, that's a scary match when you have to play a team twice in a season. I mean, yeah, Prairie Central beat them in week one, thirty eight, thirty six, twelve, something like that. Um, but week one is way different from week twelve. Mm. Uh, a lot of things change, and when you have a coach like Scott Hamilton and you have players who buy into a system like Unity's always do. Uh, there is certainly a threat for what happened on Saturday to happen. Uh, the fact they shut out Prairie Central is pretty amazing. Prairie Central's offense is averaging probably close to 50 points a game, and, wow. and Unity just held them off the board completely, which is a pretty pretty crazy thing to, to see. Um, if I were Williamsville, I'd feel really uncomfortable about <laughs> that, although Williamsville also has a strong defense, so we might see another you know, 7-0, 14-0, 14-7 type game when those two play on Saturday. So yeah, upset by seed, but I don't think anybody's necessarily surprised at the, okay. the outcome. Looking back at Muhammad Seymour, tremendous mm-hmm. season, but it ended in a, you know, not so good. Yeah. Uh, any explanation for that? I mean, it was- yeah. They, uh, they lost at the line of scrimmage, um, and I don't mean to harp on the, the big guys because they had some great seasons on the offensive and defensive side for Muhammad, but Morris controlled the line of scrimmage. Morris uh, has had a great program for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. I suppose they've got a pretty good feeder system there. I would think so. I would think so. And uh, you're, you're not talking like feeding the offensive line well, to beef them up, right? Maybe. No, no. <laughs> a little no. bit of both. <laughs> yeah, their offensive line, I talked with uh, after the game with uh, Muhammad Jr., Jack Gallier, who's a two-time uh, all-area first-team player um, for us and uh, he said Morris's offensive line was the best he's ever seen in his high school career and really? I, I feel like he was being honest with me in that assessment uh, because Muhammad's defensive line is good they have a lot of talent up there Gallier, Mateo Casillas, Javon Irwin some just really talented kids who have not been slowed down very often this year and Morris was creating a three or four yard buffer zone basically mm-hmm. for their for whoever rushed the ball basically to automatically get three to four yards and then gain what they could be on that uh, when, when that's what you're up against offensively, and Morris was just hanging on to the ball. Basically, if you watch the Washington-Philadelphia game on Monday, that's kind of what it looked like. They were just <laughs> hanging on to the ball, hanging on to the ball, hanging on to the ball, and Muhammad's offense never really got on the field. This is the the second straight year that they've fallen in the quarterfinals. Quarter does yep. this does this feel class wise? Is this a, a peak for Muhammad football, or are, are they kind of on an upward trajectory where maybe they can get over the hump next sure. year? Sure, I, I think I don't think Muhammad feels it's um, a peak. I, I feel like they think they can keep trending upward. But you can't ignore that they are graduating 24 seniors from this roster, most of whom are four-year players, a lot of them multi-year starters for this team. You're going to have to replace the starting quarterback. You're going to have to replace a lot of really good defensive players, an all-state receiver in Quentin Rogers. Um, there's a lot of question marks for Muhammad moving forward. But uh, back-to-back 11-win seasons, first time since the early 2000s, can't be ignored. So a lot of positive momentum, and now it's incumbent upon the kids remaining and the coaches remaining to, to build off it. 
girls basketball has started this week. Boys basketball starts. Yeah, give us an idea who's going to be at the top Hmm. of the ladder in boys basketball. Let's say between Danville and Decatur and and (laughs) going south. Yeah, all over the place. Um, Yeah, I I think sticking with Muhammad, I think their boys team is going to be solid this year. You've got a lot of uh, kids who are football players or golf players played in some other sport uh, in the fall. Really good athletes. Uh, They had a, a solid season last year. The record wasn't really indicative of I think how, how good that team was and it was a fairly young team last year um, I think they're going to get better this year and be a, a team to watch out for uh, I think St. Joe Ogden's going to be really good you got Ty Pensley in the way Illinois yep. State commit signee at this point and uh, a lot of other returning athletes uh, I think Prairie Central is going to be really good as well they returned essentially their entire lineup minus one kid I believe um, and and they're probably really a lot of those kids play football and they're probably really upset about the way their season ended and they want to take it out on on all these teams on the basketball floor champagne urbana uh i would say centennial is probably the favorite from the the boys side as far as big schools go um i think judah christian could have a good year too as far as boys programs go small school um central still kind of working their way up under uh head coach leconte nix this is his uh, second season and uh, urbana kind of trying to get back to where they were a few years ago when they busted that 30-year regional title uh, mm-hmm. drought you know all three of those teams those big school teams are going to have good athletes uh, just a matter of how they fare against the normals and the peorias of the world Colin Likas, busy man. You can follow him on Twitter at CLikasNG. I know you, you want to hit the road here before it gets too oh, slippery. It's all good. <laughs> so we will let you go. We've got to give away some WWE tickets yeah. here. So so what number are we looking for on, on the call dial? Oh, One oh. through four. One through four? Yeah. Three. No, we're going with three. One, okay. two, three. So, ding, ding, so ding. when you... Ah, uh, makes sense. <laughs> Duh. So, so when you hear the bell... We will look for call number three so that you can get tickets before you can buy them to WWE Road to WrestleMania coming to the State Farm Center on February 25th. We will read all that you have to cover in the pages of the News Gazette at newsgazette.com. Thanks for, for hanging out, Colin. Sounds good, guys. Thanks for having me. We will take another break in just a few minutes before we transition to Hour 2 of Sports Talk. Now at NewsGazette.com, Inside Illini Basketball, our weekly podcast with beat writer Scott Ritchie, who will tell you what's at stake for Illinois this weekend. A potential top 10 ranking. Scott Ritchie will be in with me next hour. We'll chat with Ben Bolch on UCLA basketball, maybe football and Big Ten in general, as some things are going on with the switch over there. If you want some WWE tickets, 217-356-9397 is the number to call. And Lauren, last night was the first night that I, I felt compelled to sit down and watch some college basketball. Did you check out the Champions Classic last night? With I did watch the Michigan State-Kentucky game. I didn't last in this. In the, the game mm, went double overtime and me it neither. went into my Duke game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that got a little past my bedtime, but I was... Uh, I don't know what the the outside expectation for Michigan State was going into this season, but they look like they're they're going to be back well, in, in the top teams. I think everybody expected them to drop off. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't add any uh, transfers. Uh, I don't think there are any freshmen that are going to be dominant. Mm-hmm. They moved Sissoko into center position. He was third string before those other guys left school. He I mean, was he skying lost. last night for those alley oops. 
he's he can get up mm-hmm. and and they've got some other players that have been around a while and they're they're comfortable with uh, you know with the staff and with with the coaching and and Izzo's uh, I think he's got a team that he likes although that you know he's had two tough games already mm-hmm. right down to the wire both of them in unusual environments last night not quite as strange as on a boat but uh they they pulled out the win and we we played a, a clip a couple weeks ago maybe it was a week or so ago John Calipari John Calipari trying to temper expectations of his highly anticipated team so they fall at, at number 4 it's not so easy to play a lot of young guys and then, you know and then they go away and you have more young guys the next year more young guys I, but uh, I want to mention this about UCLA before I, I leave. I, mm-hmm. uh, they lost an awful lot. They did. They got a lot back. They did. <laughs> they lost. I mean, how can you be both? But Miles Johnson's going to go to. You know, he's giving it up for classroom work. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny Juzag. Juzang. 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 Yep. Excuse me. Uh, he's in the draft. Watson's in the draft. Kyman transferred. Bernard's gone. He declared for the draft. Riley's gone. They've lost a lot of players, who some of whom were part-time. But it's just interesting that they lost so many guys, and yet they come back stronger than ever. Still got their point guard. They've, yeah. they've still got yeah. Hawkeyes. Campbell's, this is fifth year. Mm-hmm. Brought yeah. in a, a top recruiting class. Is the, That's kind of what you do after you but go to got, a Final Four. they got three 16. seniors and two of the seniors starting, and two of the seniors are fifth years. Mm-hmm. So they've got a lot of experience. And I don't know. I haven't seen Adam Bona play but he's from Turkey. He's 6'10". Big. He's a five-star. Mm-hmm. He's obviously good, but he hasn't done much yet. He's averaging nine points a game so far in their three wins. But they, they're like Illinois. They've played three games that were pretty much routes. Yep. So first real test for both teams on Friday. We'll get a, a little bit on their information next hour. Michael Martin will be in. Scott Ritchie will be in as well. Mr. Tate, thanks for hanging out this hour. We'll talk to you again tomorrow in the 4 o'clock hour. All right. All right, News Talk 1400, 93.9 FM, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. More sports talk coming to you after these news updates.